Welcome to Kashmir on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmir Magazine. And tonight's show, we got a lot of whole lot, whole lot of interesting things we're going to be discussing. I don't know how many we're going to get through. I have a list here that will keep you keep us all here overnight. And I know that you have to go on to other other people tonight. So we're going to try to. Sneak in as much as possible. Some of it, hopefully, in the future, if we don't do it tonight. And if not, you can read about it in Kashmir's magazine if you if you're a subscriber, and uh, you know you'll be you'll somehow you'll hear later on. You know, I, I'm going to just tell you a few of the the items that we're going to cover tonight in Yitzhak First of all, we're going to talk about uh, the appropriate things. We're going to talk about tshuva. And we're going to talk about, I hope we're going to do all this. And we talk about you, and we're going to talk about uh, the, uh, the Yom uh, Tov coming up, Sukkot. And in Mitzvah here are some of the topics that I have written down here. The Shaila hot off the press. Just when I was davening Mincha a few minutes before I came here, uh, somebody asked me a Shaila, we'll discuss it. And then there's the Breckel chickens, the Shaitlach. The Rasta, I'm not going to talk about Rasta, you don't know what that is yet. Uh, $1,400 crocodile skin kippah. Um, we'll talk uh, hopefully about Phoenicia and uh, what's going on with the Rabbanut in Eretz Israel, which is a big uh, problem. Uh, smiling, we've got to talk about smiling if we can, very important. We've got to try to keep smiling. And we're going to talk about bread. And if that's not enough, we'll find a few more. <laughs> I have a whole list here. So let's start without further ado. Let's start a little bit. We mentioned the idea of tshuva, and uh, I'm not going to go into that too much other than to mention that, uh, as we said the last few years, we talked about the chidor, who has a, uh, a voluminous list of averis that a person could do. And I mean, I know it's not 613, but it's certainly very large. And it's more personalized. It's more about what you do. And I find it very helpful to go through that. I saw my Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Yisrael Kanarek, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of uh, Yeshiva Orham Meir. In those days, it was in it was in uh, it was in New Rochelle, and now it's in Peekskill. And Rabbi Kanarek would go through that every single Shemona Esrei, except when he was davening for the Amud. I think he davened uh, just from Musaf. I think it's the only one he did. Maybe he did Neela too. I don't remember anymore. I think not. I think he just did Musaf, and that's the only time he didn't say it because it would take too long for the people to wait. Uh, but otherwise, he would say it, and we didn't wait for him. I think we went on without him. That's what I remember. I'm not unless my memory doesn't serve me correct. Anyway, the Chidor's list is phenomenal. You should get your hands on it, even if you don't ever say it in your Kippur. But if you look at it during the course of the year, it's an eye-opener. And if you don't know Hebrew, so there's some people have made lists, maybe they translated them, you might find that around. But uh, get somebody who knows Hebrew well and, and sit down with them, go through the Chidor's Vidui. It's amazing. And in there... What's amazing to me is that the amount that he has about brachos and 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 kashras, it's amazing. The number two, first one is is ashamnu, and then he says achalnu machalas asura. So eat tray for foods. And you think back, eat tray for foods. I eat tray for foods. Do I eat tray for foods? But then you have to start to think, what do I eat? What do I eat? And that's really where it all begins. What do I eat? I want to discuss with you now a couple of interesting questions about that. I got a call 
it was not more than two days ago. I, I mean, I think it was since uh, I think it was since Yom Kippur. But if not, it was right before Yom Kippur. A woman called me up. She was really ready to cry. And first of all, she lost this uh, our station, and and uh, she doesn't uh, get it anymore, and she's very frustrated. I told her how she could get it, but those things don't work for her. Telephone, too much trouble, doesn't work well. Which we uses other things, the internet. I don't think she even has. And there's a woman who's a Baal's chuva, very from lady, and she was just about crying on the phone. I had to really stop her from crying, and what she was talking about was bread. What's going on with the bread? So she said, well, I bought this Arnold's bread. And I've been buying this for who knows how long. And there's no hashkach on it. I thought there was always a hashkach on it. I thought it was an OU. So, so relax, sit down a minute. We'll we look it up together. I went to the internet, looked it up at, on, on the OU website, ou.org. And we, 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 we saw exactly what it was. And, uh, and, and definitely it's not listed among those kosher breads from Arnold's. And I told her, you know, that Arnold's is made by a company called Bimbo. And Bimbo has a lot of bakeries, and some are not kosher. And some are kosher with OU. Some have Kuf K. Some have different things. And not every bread is kosher. And not every bread is parabas. Some of them are dairy, which also is a problem for us. So, you know, this it's an open world. And you could have two Arnold's breads or two any of the others there, Fryhofer's breads. Some will be kosher and some won't be kosher. But the same name, the same Fryhofer's brand name and the same product name, exactly the same packaging. And one will be Trafe and one will be kosher. And I mentioned this in the Kashas magazine not too long ago. We had this thing about bimbo. I did a nice little piece about it because I know it was a big topic. And I felt very bad that this woman, you know, is not tuned in to us on the radio show and she's not in the magazine. She's not reading the magazine. It's very frustrating. She's trying to do tshuva, and she's buying things without knowing what they really are. And then, you know, really a lot of people in that boat. And that started me thinking about another couple of topics that are very, very hot right now. I don't even know if I should mention them. So, But I, but since I did go this far, I think I'm going to mention them. One is the breckel, and the other one is the shaitel. <laughs> they're not related. They sound similar, but they're not related. Let's start with the shaitel first, because many of the people who are listening to me right now know what I'm talking about, and I'm going to not go there to give you the details. But recently, um, in a few, few way, in a few ways, not just one way, but in a few ways, uh, there've been statements and 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 um, advertisements from certain rabbis raising questions of the sheitlach the women are using today. And one of these announcements came right before Yom Kippur. And it put people, they went go, they were going, I can't tell you what was happening to them. I cannot tell you what the women were feeling like and what the men were feeling like. You know, here, right before Yom Kippur, they're announcing that there's a problem with all the human hair sheitlach. All of them. And then, man, no matter what you got, maybe with Ashkoch, with Ashkoch, with this country, that country, it doesn't make a difference. There's a problem with all of them. Because they all really emanate from India, which is probably an overstatement, but still in all, the, the concern was a serious concern by serious Rabbanim, not, not people who are dreamers. These are serious Rabbanim. And they made this announcement. And I found out in the Lakewood, they've been, make, been talking about this, some of these Rabbanim. And so, you know, 
the women were going crazy, really. Right before Yom Kippur, it was putting a strain. Do I go to shul with a shaitl, my shaitl? But they're saying it's not necessarily kosher. And then, and if I go, even if I, you'll say it's okay, what about all the other women? Are they going to be wearing shaitlach or are they going to be wearing tichlach? And if I go in a tichel, what are people going to say about me then? And, and I don't know what to do. That's what women were saying. So in my, in my little world, I contacted a few Rabbanim, and we were satisfied uh, that, that all the Rabbanim that we spoke to, who are poiskim, Rabbanim strongly committed to the community, one in Lakewood and one in Brooklyn, and the Rabbanim said emphatically, there's nothing new in this whole area. And whatever you, we were doing before, you continue to do it. And wherever you were getting the shaitlich, you know, with people who are responsible and not buying directly from India or anything like that, you don't have to worry. You continue to do whatever you're doing till now. That's basically what the Rabbanim told me. So here we have a situation. Do I do like some of these Rabbanim who are concerned? Do I do like these Rabbanim who are saying everything is the same as before? So the answer to all the questions is simply, Asay Luchot Rav. You have to choose a rabbi who you feel is competent, sincere, capable of looking into things, and he himself wants the truth. And he will get the truth, at least as he understands it. And that's who you go to. Now, I'm going to read to you a little piece that came out, which I happen to, I mean, I love this publication. I think I have it here. I'm not positive I have it with me. <laughs> Sometimes I promise these things and I didn't bring them. Uh, it could be that this is one of them. There's a wonderful publication that comes out, let's see, ah, called Sapirim, S-A-P-P-I-R-I-M. It comes out from the Chicago Rabbinical Council. And I was looking for something, and maybe I'll ask them to reprint this, uh, permission to reprint it, or I might do something similar. I mean, I, I have some some people working with me on, the, on this topic for the next issue of the magazine. The Breckel chicken is a whole story because in Eretz Israel, it's a tremendous fight. Basically, the Badats of the Eda Haredes is opposed to the Breckel chicken, and they and some of the uh, groups in in, in in B'nai Brak. It's always this Yushalayim B'nai Brak issue, and then in B'nai Brak, they they're pro using the Breckel chicken. It seems the Breckel chicken, B-R-A-E-K-E-L, was not used in Israel until right now. Some people started importing it and trying to raise it there. The basic, basically, it's very good for, for, for eggs. But more importantly, according to some of these people, this is a better uh, Kabbalah, a better tradition as to being a kosher bird. Because here, as you'll learn in a few minutes, all of us are in the middle of a very confusing issue of chicken. I know I'm saying this today. At least you got two days left before you have to maybe you'll have fish. Uh, you can be careful there too. <laughs> so, so let, let's just understand a little bit about the breckel. It seems that we have a problem, all of us Jews, that we don't have as clear an idea with the. Uh, birds as we do have with the animals. Because the animals, the Torah gives us simonim. The Torah tells you to look for an animal that chews its cud and has split hooves. 
and maybe they can't describe, Torah isn't describing exactly what that is, but everybody who deals with animals sort of got the idea and knows the difference between one and the other, especially since the Torah gives you examples of how, of those animals that have only one of the simonim. So you see that those are good simonim if it wouldn't have been for the knocking the second simon. So really we have pretty good ideas as to what what the Torah meant by animals. Okay, this the issues later on. I mean, does it include the zebu that's coming out of uh, South Africa, uh, South America, where where a lot of the hashgachos and a lot of the shritas in America were using for zebu? And does it uh, does it cover uh, buffalo and different types of buffalo, bison, buffalo? Does it cover this? Does it cover that? Okay, there's discussions. We got plenty to talk about what about the giraffe. Okay, we'll have a lot of discussions about it. But but bottom line, what we're eating. Everybody sort of knows what a cow looks like. There's no big fights about a cow. But here we go to a, a, an area with birds. And the Torah doesn't tell you simonim for birds. The Torah just lists in the non-kosher birds because it's easier to list the non-kosher birds than to list the kosher birds because out of 10,000 or 20,000 or 100,000 varieties of birds, and there's literally thousands and thousands of them available, different species, we only have a small number that are not kosher. So the Torah bothers to list those. But the problem is we don't have a good translation. The art school wasn't around in those days. And we have to figure out today, thousands of years later, what kind of birds are we talking about? So years back, they made certain signs, and they, they used those signs as a, what is a kosher bird. But um, there are more in... Uh, in your in your in Shochan Aruch Yeridaya, uh, Pei Base Sif Gimel says that uh, the, our custom is not to rely on those signs, but we have to only eat birds which have a masora, a tradition that they're kosher. So the only way you can eat is by a kabbalah from somebody from older than you who remembers the way it used to be in the Altaheim, in the old city, the old country the way it used to be in the old days. Which is very beautiful because the Torah says, The Torah tells us we're supposed to ask the, our elders what to do. And this is beautiful. The Torah is set up here that we have to go to them and ask them, is this a kosher bird? Is it not a kosher bird? And nobody can come along and say, I can reinvent the wheel because you're going to starve. You're not going to, certainly not going to eat any chicken or any, any turkey or any, anything at all that flies because you're not going to know what tradition. You, you, you really are stuck. So you have to be macabre from earlier people. This is one of the most interesting things. The Torah wants us, Hashem wants us, to go and ask other people who are older. The old shoichtim. They look like old men already, really. Those people are old. But they're the ones who know. They remember shechting 50, 60 years ago. They remember what the birds looked like. They, they held thousands of them, or at least hundreds of them, thousands probably. They know what they are. Even if they haven't touched that bird for years, they could say, that's the one I used to do there. And, and, and that's who we go to. The old shochtim. The old rabbis. Old people, beautiful. Instead of saying that we're 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 done with those, we're in the new world. No way, you can't eat unless you accept them. Anyway, that was going very well, very well for a while. About nineteen years ago, Rabbi Vosner from the Shevet Halevi, 
passed away recently, discussed the concern that modern breeding methods involve breeding birds that have a mesora of being kosher with other birds that don't have a mesora of being kosher. They don't have a tradition. So now the birds that we're seeing are have been bred in a combined way, mixed breeding. So the new birds of today that we're finding are not purebred. That's interesting also because today they're going back to some of the, what they call traditional ones, the traditional uh, leghorns, you know, the old style uh, the chickens, the whole movement. They're going back to these old birds. But it seems that what they're doing now, they do it again to go grow very fast. They keep mixing these up and we have a mixture today. So he raised the question, and uh, it seems uh, there's an Avnei Nezer on it and a Chassam Soifer on it. Even according to those who are machmir on the, this question, there are opinions that the actual offspring of a mismatched couple would be kosher. Thus, even if some of the original forebears of the chickens used nowadays, such as the Plymouth Rock, the Rock Cornish, the White Leghorn, had no misora, there's reason to argue that the offspring may be eaten. So we have a Shaila about the regular chickens that we have today. I was presented an article by somebody from England who, who, who told me this a bunch of years ago. I'm really sorry that I didn't go further into it. I think I printed something about it, but I really didn't have a handle on it in those days. And I wasn't aware of, of uh, uh, the Shev Halevi's sock, at least I don't remember anyway. And it seems that it sort of escaped me. But this is what's, this is what's going on. So on the one hand, uh, we have uh, questions on the Breckel, but then we have questions on everything we have in front of us. And throw into that, of course, everybody knows that there are some people who don't eat turkey because they say we don't have a misora on turkey. They don't think the turkey is, a, is known from the old days to be a kosher bird. And that's something that uh, Yaakov Kamenetsky was careful on about and others. Anyway, let me read this quote over here from Vosner. We should only take the shecht, animal or birds that are from well-known sources. Shahu baduk. It was a bedika. We know that they are good sources that they weren't mixed bread. And you've got to trace it all the way back, make sure that the little birds and everything is coming from the kosher sources. Male and female species. And and Hashem has to protect us from keeping for keeping kosher. Wow, that's talking about what we're going to be eating and what we had last Shabbos, etc. Amazing, a big question mark. So what happened was the people who, who were promoting the breckel, they had uh, they had felt that those breckels were better. A few years ago. They settled on the breckel chicken, breed of chicken, which has been available in certain parts of Europe for centuries and went through all the legal and business steps needed to bring these chickens to Israel and began raising them on farms because they decided that they were looking for a chicken breed that was pure. So they are out to get you the best chicken available and it was going to be the breckel. 
And this is a whole discussion in itself. And then right now, this, the, the war is being waged between the different Rabbanim in Eretz Israel and has not come to any conclusion about whether the Brekel is actually kosher. So here, this is the most confusing thing I could possibly say on the radio, right? I'm telling you that the chickens that you have, uh, if they come from a mixed breed, have a question mark. And uh, the, the Breckel chicken has its question mark. So where does it leave us? <laughs> so the answer to the question, my friends, is very simple. Asay l'chor rav. And also, relax a little bit. In America, there were gedolim, world-famous gedolim, not second class. They were the gedolim. Rabbi Aaron Cutler Zatzal, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, etc., etc. We had Gedoyle Yisrael in America, and they ate chicken. Now, some of them are not here, 19 years, so I don't know when this thing started with this problem here, but still in all, the types of chickens that we started with, that we do have control over. Now, that we have Rabbanim Paiskim Gedoylem in America today, and I'm not going to give you names, but you know those who people know a little bit about the Torah world do know some of these names. And we have, and and they are eating chicken, and they continue to eat chicken, and they continue to put in the yeshivas, etc. And that's and they're giving hashgachas. Some of these chashuva rabbanim are giving hashgachas, and some with a long tradition of knowing the whole meat business from their fathers and their grandfathers, and they know it like the back of their hand, and they're in charge of the meat business. A lot of the hashgachas are from the oldest families that we can imagine from real Torah families going way back. So it's not like uh, giving you something that has no background in it. I, I, I told this story before, but I'll say it quickly. Years ago, there was a shayla about chalev, forbidden fats and meats. So people came from Israel and they said that in America they don't have proper tradition as to what chalev is. And they showed a number of examples of it. And the entire country... United States of America went blank, went black. People stopped eating meat. It was about 35, 40 years ago. If you don't remember it, you're too young. And if you, and if you don't remember it at all, I don't know what happened to you, but, but the actual people uh, you know, who, who went through it do remember the Chalev controversy. Aside from the good articles in Makashos Magazine, we were in trouble. And in the world that I knew, people stopped eating meat completely. Yeshiva light stopped eating meat completely. And a lot of Rabbanim stopped eating meat completely. And somebody came over to me in the yeshiva, we won't mention the name of the yeshiva, but it's not far from where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> and they the, the came over to me and said, are you eating meat? I said, sure. He said, what? You're eating meat? I said, yeah. So how could you eat meat? I said, because it, it, because uh, I, I, you know, have, uh, I have a rough. And the Rav eats meat from this in particular man, and he knows, he has a good tradition, and my Rebbe holds that he knows, that this man knows Nikur and, and everything, and he goes back, you know, and he's got it back in history too, and, I, and, and he relies on him, and I'm relying on him too. And, I, and he said, where do you buy it? I said, listen, in America, in New York, there's 20 places you could buy meat. He said, 20 places? Are you kidding me? I said, no, no problem. I said, Anybody who paskins Hilchas Nida, which also has the ownership of Kares, 
and Chelev has the ownership of Kares. I said, anyone who's Paskin, any Rav who has the strength of conviction and the background and the Mesiris and Nefesh that he went through and he's willing to Paskin Shaul's and Hilch's Nida, that rabbi could be asked where he buys meat. The man looked at me. But those rabbis don't know anything about meat. I said, you're right. They don't know a thing about meat. But they have Yerushimayim. And they're not going to eat. They're not going to serve their family. They're not going to serve their guests unless they're convinced that it's kosher. Hashem didn't make a joke out of us. If you have our Rabbanim telling us the shaitels are good, if if you have our Rabbanim saying the chickens are good, then we eat and we don't have to worry. If you want to be machmir, Anybody could take on a chumrah if this if it's a legitimate chumrah, even if it's you're not necessarily going to uh, uh, you know not, the percentage may be light on it about how how much a possibility it is that there's a problem. But a person being machmir kol I would be the last one, really, literally the last one that tell you stop a chumrah that you have. But on the other hand, let's remember we have rabbanim. And you have to ask them. And you have to look into that. So, you want to call? Yeah, I'll give you one more, Shiloh. Fifteen minutes before I came in here tonight. Fifteen minutes. Not a, well, actually, twenty minutes before I came in here tonight. I was going by, and, and somebody who was learning st- saw me, stopped for a second, and he said, what's going on with the beds? <laughs> cots. I said, what? He said to me that there are new cots that they're selling, and mine is coming tomorrow, so I can't even answer the question right now. My, they, they have new cots that they're selling in the stores that are not too expensive, and they open up, and you put a mattress on, but they're not strong. In other words, they would they could fold on and fall apart underneath you, and you'd be you'd be sleeping on the floor in the sukkah. So what they have instead is a little bar. And you bunch it in here and squish it a little bit, and it holds it tight, and it can't move. And then I suppose when you take it apart, you unattach, you unattach the bar, and that's what you do. And he said to me, it's a Shiloh for Shabbos. I don't know. I have reasons to think it's not, but I don't know right now. And I'm telling you, when my comes, I'm going to ask a Shiloh. Tomorrow I'm going to ask the Shiloh, believe neither of my roof. And you, if you have a question on this new takat that seems to be taking over, a lot of these style of kats are taking over, and has a little bar that you have to push in tight, you have to ask that Shiloh. So, and whatever they tell you, that's the din. And you have to have emunas chachamim, that these rabbanim are telling you it's das Torah directly from Shemayim. It's not just uh, his opinion. It's, it's das Torah. It's what a Kaddish Baruch wants you to hear. That's why he's your Rav, and that's why you're asking him. So I think that that takes care of some of those. I've been very serious, and I want to take a minute off to read a, a something which is not so serious from a good friend of mine, which his name is Anshel Strauss. I'm going to run this more or less like he said it. I think I have the, I'm not sure if I have the original version here. No, I got, I got the version I want. No, this is no. This is not. This is the original. Oh no! No, this is the this is the version I want. Greet everyone with a smile. Great idea for after Yom Kippur. You want something? You want a Kabbalah? Smile. 
You want a Kabbalah? Greet people. That's a good, those are two good Kabbalahs. Greet people with a smile. Pirkei Yavis says it. Havei is called Adam Seva Ponim Yafos. Rav Mili used to explain Seva Ponim Yafos, three levels. He went into it. It took 25 minutes for him to explain. Well, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it took a little while for him to explain what the, the totality of that, those few words are, what a smile could do. I read this small piece from Anshel Strauss because I like it. I particularly remember one time that I was home from college visiting my family. My dad, Zal, asked me if I wanted to go with him to do some errands. I went along with him to the car wash, the flower shop, the candle store. There was a candle store, can I? The supermarket, and to the tailor. When we entered each location, the owner shouted out, Hello, Harvey! How are you? And when we were walking in the street, Several people called over to my dad and said, hello. I asked my dad if he actually knew everybody in the city of Lowell, Lowell, Massachusetts. He explained to me that after living in one place for many years, people get to know you. In fact, my my great-grandfather and grandfather also lived in Lowell. I think that not everyone who lives in a given locale is friendly with the entire population. Tell me about it. <laughs> Try New York City. <laughs> okay. My, my dad was an outgoing individual, and he did talk with many people. But more than that, he greeted everyone with a smile and a kind word. This year, the day before Yom Kippur, I was at the antique store buying my wife a piece of jewelry before the upcoming Yom Tov. My wife better not get any ideas now. It is a custom for Jewish men to buy their wives either clothing or jewelry prior to a festival. On my way home, I was stopped at a streetlight and noticed my Italian barber, Stefano, sitting in his car. I waved to him. He motioned to me to roll down my car window. He in turn lowered his window and shouted out to me in his Italian accent with a big smile, the Shana Toiva. Pirkei Ovis tells us to greet everyone with a pleasant countenance and a smile. It isn't that one just lives in a place for an extended time. One must interact with the individuals of that city or town. And now I'm going to tell you three stories, two of which you probably know, and the third you never heard. And the third is a kiddish to me. It is well known that Rabbi Aaron Cutler, Zatzal, instructed his driver when approaching a toll booth, to go to the man and not the machine. It's also told of Rabbi Charles Bat Zatzal, that he too would always go to the toll booth that had a person in it, even if the other booths had no line waiting. When asked why he did so, Rabbi Bat's, resp- Bat's response was that he wanted to talk with the toll booth person to uplift his spirits in what might otherwise be a very boring and tedious job. Wow! I never heard that one before, and I was really impressed by that, 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 that line. He cared whether a goy would feel a little bit better now when he just by smiling and saying hello. That tollbooth man was really dying for that. He never gets it from anybody. They were always angry, always in a rush, never smile, never said a word to him. And all of a sudden, Rabbi Bat 
says it. You think that night he didn't remember Rabbi Bat? It's also told the Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky Zatzal that when walking to shul, he would pass a convent, making it a point to say good morning to the nuns as they went by. So maybe offering a smile and a greeting to everyone will help us get a little closer to the geula. Thank you, Anshul. Beautiful piece. I love it. <laughs> it's a very simple, but it's to the point. And you want a tshuva? That's good. Now, greet everyone with a smile and uh, a nice word. Not too much. A little bit. Not going to hurt too much. I uh, Anybody who'd like to call in, you could do that. Talk about whatever you want. 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Call us. 718-683-5858. Let me go on to another one of my million ideas here. And uh, also, just remind the text, you can text us. Oh, you can three text four us. Seven. But you'll tell me if they get any taxes. I'm not seeing it over here. Okay, 347-927-8398. That's a text line. 347-927-8398. Just let me know if we're getting any texts. So the call number seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Well, one of the things that I, you know, people are all busy now preparing for the yomtiv, and I too, I was on the top of my garage, we were cutting down trees. I didn't do the cutting, but I had to hold the ladder, and we were cutting down part of a tree in order to be able to time the mitzvah properly. So uh, we were busy with everything like that, but I had to take time out. People were calling and coming. It was a very busy day. I had a fellow from Lakewood, one of, my, one of the young uh, light over there, wanted to get uh, some of our MP3s on Basa Bacholov. It was, uh, he, was, he, he was very desirous. He says to me, don't wait till after the Yomtev. I have to have some now. <laughs> so I, I had to rush him over to him so he should be able to listen to something in the car when he's driving, wherever he's going, preparing for Yomtev. <laughs> and then we had this question that came up, which I spent a lot of time on. Uh you never heard a rasta. I know you didn't. To, to you, it doesn't even, you know, even know what the word means, rasta. Well, let me just tell you a little bit about rasta. I didn't bring all the material here, but I did bring something of it, I'm sure. Rasta, you see, is a, a part, of, it's, it's religion. The... Um, Basically, in Jamaica, I only have a little bit. I didn't bring all the stuff here, but the uh, the Rasta are, are people. They're Rastafarians. Rastafarians call also called Rasta, R A S T A. It's an it's clearly not Vodazara, and even if it's not a Vodazara for them, maybe they are called monotheistic, although they believe that Hashem is part of them. Not that, you know, he's, he's near us, but he's Malechol Arts Kavodo, that he's in them. They also have beliefs that uh, one of their leaders is, is, a, is a Novi, and they have beliefs that the Christianity, uh, there was a. there was idolatry, it was, it was like there was some kind of idolatry in, in the group going back to before the 30s and the 1930s, it switched over to mostly a Christian. Group, Haile Selassie is is considered to be a, like a prophet of this. Haile Selassie. 
They were, these are Rastafarians. Now, what in the world has it got to do with you or me? So here I go. Somebody sends me a connection. A man is selling Rasta in certain Jewish clothing called Rasta, and then mentions the clothing. And I said, Rasta? And he does, maybe he doesn't know. He's in Jamaica. He's in Jamaica making this Rasta Jewish clothing and selling it to people that it's Rasta. So I said to him, okay, how can you do that? It's, it's, it's about Zara. It's about Zara. Zara. Whatever it is, you can't possibly do that. And we had a discussion back and forth. Baruch Hashem, he took it off the website. So you can't find it today. I don't think you can find it. And I'm not even telling you the name of it. But I'm not certainly not his name. I'm not going to tell you, you know, the connection at all. But here, Rebona Shalom, our people are so confused that they just grab everything the Goyim are doing. My goodness. You're going to call yourself a Rasta Yeshiva, Chas Shalom? You're going to call yourself a Rasta Shul? Here, the, here he's calling all this clothing, the clothing he sells there, Rasta clothing, and from a from Jew in Jamaica. It was it was bizarre. But uh, we had an interesting discussion back and forth, and Baruch Hashem, he took it off the website, and you can't find it now. But it, it didn't take him too long to take it off, and I'm sure it's going to go back in a way that will be, if he sells it again, it'll have a different name to it, and I discussed with him different names to use. That's that's one of the little secret things that I did today. Another secret thing I did today was about uh, a certain restaurant that it seems that this restaurant is kosher certified by a certain rabbi, and the company owns three or four trafer restaurants with the same name. The same name. So the same name is being used and the same website to promote three or four trafer restaurants and one kosher one. I mean, I said to me, my goodness, you you, you can confuse people. Plus, can you really prevent somebody like that from not switching things? And even if they want to say that their other restaurants are only using kosher ingredients, there's no ashkocha, there's bishalakum, Shabbos is forget about, and 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 all this stuff is going on, and and, and you're using let him use the same name restaurant. I mean, okay, you'll say you're going to give me an example, uh, McDonald's in Israel, and you're going to give me an example of the Dunkin' Donuts here in America. Dunkin' Donuts is a big multi-zillion dollar corporation. If you make seventy-five Dunkin' Donuts kosher, nobody's going to think that Dunkin' Donuts is a kosher name. But if you're gonna f- you're gonna uh, take a small company that a quarter of their earnings is kosher, and they're not a big company, they're not a franchise. Their owners that are Mahala Shabbos or Goyim, and they're gonna they're gonna do their thing uh, with despite what you're doing in your one restaurant. They're gonna do it differently in the other ones. And it's very, very easily confused when you only have a few restaurants. I told them it doesn't belong that you're giving hashkacha. So we're going to see how that one comes out. But this is the kind of thing that we have to be aware of, uh, that, you know, it's, it's not all uh, simple. Now, we mentioned before about a $1,400 crocodile skin keeper. I know you don't believe that, but it's true. You can go that, you could see 
somebody stopped them from selling it when they found out that it's illegal to use that to use that material because they snuck it in. They got it into Israel without. It's, yeah, it's in Israel in the old city. Somebody's selling a fourteen hundred dollar crocodile keeper. But the great part of that one is the man says, I don't have the quote here, I'm putting it in the magazine already. <laughs> the man says that he says, Well, if you're wearing a ten thousand dollar Gucci Gucci suit, how can you go with a fifty dollar yarmulke? Fifty dollar yarmulke? I don't think I pay five for mine. I don't think it's five. I think it used to be four, and before it was three. But even if even if it costs five dollars now, I don't even know what a fifty dollar yarmulke is. I never even saw a fifty dollar yarmulke. I have seen the the crocodile one, at least a picture of it, and the crocodile one is looks like a crocodile. I mean, it's the skin, you know, and you you get it on your head, and for that you pay fourteen hundred dollars, so it should match your suit. I mean, how can you go into Yomtif without a fourteen hundred dollar yarmulke? I mean, how how can you celebrate a simcha like Yom Tov of Sukkot where we're going into this little hut without your $1,400 yarmulke? Is something wrong here? Or, or am I missing it? <laughs> they leave the price tag on the yarmulke. What? They leave the price tag on the yarmulke. <laughs> no, but anybody show. who sees that knows it's not normal. And they ask you, how much did you pay for it and where did you get it? <laughs> I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw kids running after the, the, you know, the, the tie and turning over to see which designer right, is it. Right, right. So I don't know. It's, it's really crazy. You know, it's maybe a, it's it will reach, a, reach, a, reach, a, reach a point that, you know, we're checking the tefillin, what kind of uh, uh, designer is it, you know? They won't spend that much on tefillin. I'm telling you, <laughs> the people who with a $10,000 suit are not spending $10,000 for a pair of tefillin. They're not getting the top, top tefillin. And then say that they don't, you need to. You're, I don't say you need to spend $10,000 for tefillin. But I'm pretty sure that they're not mocked. They will bargain probably with Seifer. But to say, how could you go with a $50 yarmulke if you got a $10,000 suit? I mean, it, 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 it's it's bizarre. You must have designer yarmulke, so, uh, 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 something that somebody, that people could talk about you. I don't even know how to tell the suit is worth $10,000. But that's the number the man uses and when he's selling these yarmulkes. Uh, this is this is a little bit of what's going on. So we have we have our challenges every day out there in the real world, and when we go out to do things, aseilacharav. That's the very first thing. Yeah, we do. We start with a smile and a nice word. That's very good. But we have to aseilacharav. I've seen people who have ruined their lives because they don't have a rub. They've ruined their lives. I'm not going to go into details. And I've seen people who have saved their sanity because they have a rov. And they ask him everything. I have some people who ask me everything. But I, I, I prefer they go to somebody else. But I have people. And I, I know that it's very, very helpful to them. But when you have a rov, you have to believe that that rov is being sent direct messages from Shemayim. To how you should be handled, what you should do in your particular case, and you should build, and you only should ask a rov if you think that he knows whatever you're asking him really well. I mean, you just don't go to any rabbi and say, you know, what's the halacha of this? Some rabbis are not knowledgeable about it; and they may be embarrassed not to answer to, to answer you. you know, they may, they'll say anyway, even they'll shoot from the hip. But if you want to get the right answer, make sure you're going to somebody who's qualified. I remember one time I called a rov. 
who was world famous, who has printed svarim in English and Hebrew on halacha topics, very famous rabbi, and I asked him a question. It was halacha lemaisa? It was a shaila on Hilcha Shabbos, and he said to me, "That's not my area." <laughs> so he said, "He said I have to go to." He gave me somebody else to go to, and I had this a number of times when it was a bracha, when it's a Shabbos. Some rabbanim say that's not my area. You know, that's not. I'm not familiar enough with it. I know you're here. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think I could deal with it. It's like I couldn't deal with that shayla before about the. I have to find out first how how this bed is made, and then what the bar looks like, and then I'll be able to, to discuss it with my rav about about whether or not I should use it on Shabbos or how, or how I handle it during the week. But still, in all, you know, yomtiv and Shabbos. Still, in all, if you go to a legitimate rav. Who was a Yeresha Mayim? He will tell you, I don't know. Many years ago, I think I said this once on the radio too, but you may not remember it. There's a there's a Rav in Borough Park, Rabbi Label Cats. I called up Rabbi Label Cats, not today, over 30 years ago. And I asked him a Shiloh. And he said, one minute. And he didn't cover the phone. And he called on another phone a different Rav. Somebody that he asked Shiloh of. Or who he knew was more knowledgeable in this area than he was. And he asked him to Shiloh and he got the answer. And he got back and gave me the answer. He never covered the phone. He never tried to hide who he was who, that he was asking somebody else. That's a Rav. You don't know, but you're going to ask somebody else? That's fine. Uh, that's, that's a perfect Rav. What you know, you know, and what you don't know, you don't know, and you don't care that anybody else knows that, that's a rav. It's a very, very, very chashiva. Uh, that's why I mentioned his name, only because it was a very chashiva thing. Not that he doesn't know. <laughs> Whatever he didn't know then, I'm sure he knows ten times more now. He's a very, very knowledgeable individual. But I just thought the, the honesty uh, of that, uh, that call, it always stuck in my brain. And I remember just where I was standing, just where it happened, where I was, I don't remember the question though. <laughs> that's a that's a story. Okay, um, let, let me go on to another topic. We had such a pile here. Just got to find the work. Here it is. I, I I'd like to talk to you about what's going on in Israel. Some of the things that are going on in Israel today. One of them is Phoenicia. I know you'd never heard about it. Maybe you did see an article. Phoenicia is a company, I remember from when I visited Israel years ago, Phoenicia is a big manufacturer of bottles. And those bottles are really very important to the industry because you, you, you have the wine, grape juice, it's got to go in a bottle. I mean, maybe people have some also plastic. But basically, it's going in bottles. Phoenicia's open seven days a week. It's only closed one day a year, Yom Kippur. The rest of the week, seven days a week, it must stay open. A bottle a bottling company, not bottling company, a bottle maker, must have his machinery running seven days a week. When they close for Yom Kippur, their downtime is 30 hours before they can produce anything. And the Rabbanim, 
a picture that was in the, it was in Hamodia, by the way. There's a picture of all these rabbanim, maybe thirty rabbanim. <laughs> Beautiful picture, by the way, coming to the Phoenicia group, who, who run Phoenicia company, and sitting with them. You see these three fellows on the side, no yarmulkes, no no black clothes. No, they look like regular Israeli Jews living there. And then you see all these rabbanim, a packed room like you never imagined. At least thirty rabbanim in a huge table in a semicircle. It's an amazing picture. I'm, I'm just seeing if I have enough room in my magazine to fit it all in. <laughs> it's a it's a great picture. And here these thirty rabbanim are telling them. We're not taking any wine or grape juice that's in Phoenicia bottles from now at all. It's over. We drew the line. No, Chil Shabbos, we will not take it at all. What are we going to do? We're buying from Chutzlaritz. We're only buying from Chutzlaritz until Phoenicia straightens up. It brought Phoenicia to their knees. It stopped them in their tracks. A huge company that was a, it's a monster company that they really wanted for years and years to get them to stop. But they just decided it's over. You're out of business. You're, you're, you're not, you're not here anymore. We don't know Phoenicia. Now all these, all the companies in Israel could want to use Phoenicia. They, what's they also going to use? They can't get, import uh, bottles from outside the country. It's going to cost them a zillion dollars. So they had, they wanted the Phoenicia. So the, the wine companies, the grape juice companies, they all want the Phoenicia. And the Rabbanim said, we're not using any of it. So Phoenicia said, okay, 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 we're going to change. And they were macabre to change. But we can't get it effective until Hanukkah. So buy our bottles now, and by Hanukkah will be changed. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's a project. They're coming up with a protocol. They said, give us to Hanukkah. So Rabbanim went and asked whoever they had to ask, and they said, no, we're not using it until they straighten it out. I'm sure this is a huge loss for this company. I'm sure it's creating havoc throughout the entire country of Israel. But the Rabbanim said, that's it. I mention that story because I sit here and we live in the United States of America. And I'm not going to mention on the air some of the recent problems that we have here in this country. And then I'll get in a second to Israel. But some of the recent problems in America... I'm not going to mention it because it's a, a station that could be listened to by children, but you all know what I'm talking about. The recent enactment of certain laws that are allowing certain kinds of marriages which are absolutely unacceptable to the Torah. Absolutely unacceptable to the Torah. And because of that, because of what's going on in this country, we sit here quietly, not doing a thing, not saying anything to anybody. Is that what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants? Okay, I can't. we can't do it like Phoenicia. We're not going to be able to do that. But where are we? What are we doing? A- another question. In Eretz Israel, they're having a problem with the Western Wall, with the coastal of Moravi. They're having a problem with Gius Bonim. They're going to take all the Yeshiva light into the army. There's a big problem. 
Did you hear of anything going on in the United States? Are any of our Rabbanim getting active? And did we call all those Rabbanim down to a meeting like in Phoenicia, where they have they have three Phoenician people from Phoenicia company sitting together with thirty Rabbanim? Do we do that? I don't know if you know if you have any history. There was a four hundred rabbi march on Washington. It's back in the forties. A four hundred rabbi march in Washington. Very famous rabbis. They all from not 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 you know not American rabbis from rabbis walking into to the president to demand we, our Jews are dying. We we need help. The president decided not to meet with them, but that four hundred rabbi march was never ever forgotten. I don't see him anymore. I don't see anything anymore. I hear among the non-Jews all excitement over issues. There are always issues. But I think it's quieted down in America. We're, ex- we're accepting everything. And what about this? Father? I'm frustrated personally about the situation in Europe. Not one organization has joined me to, to protect Shrita in the United States of America or to protect Shrita in the other countries. I've not seen anything come out from the, from the organizations in our country positively supporting the efforts of the, uh, of, of the Europeans for their kashras, for Shrita. There may be some things that I don't know, but I haven't seen anything. And I've sent plenty of emails and plenty of requests to organizations. Nobody picks it up. I've approached, I've approached rabbis, I've approached organizations, I've approached companies. Nobody wants to deal with Shrita in a public way. And I say, it's only time. It's only time till what happens in Europe comes closer. And where we, so where are we? We're, we're living in a country where you can spend $24 million for a wedding. That's the number that I heard. $24 million one man spent for a wedding, a Jewish religious man in my neighborhood here in Flatbush. And you could spend $24 million for that. And you could do anything you want. My goodness, you could do anything you want today. Look who's, look who the ambassadors are to Israel. Look at, look at, look at from Jews being, you know, used in, in the most, the most, the highest positions. There's nothing that man can't do. Really nothing. And we're silent on so many issues. And in the small area that I live in over here in Brooklyn, there are issues about boys and girls not getting into yeshivas. They're, they're, they've been mistreated. There's the different problems that they have. Nobody's really helping. There's one man that I know. He pays a young lady to try to get girls into yeshiva. He helps with boys in a certain way. There's a few couple of people who are quiet and do things on their own. But where are we? Where are we as a community? Why is it that those 30 rabbis can go to Phoen- the Phoenicia company and demand it stops now and give us till Hanukkah? No way! We're not giving it two minutes. And, all, and here in America, all of us are quiet, accepting, going on with our lives. No, this is why you have J-Root Radio. That's it. No, I'm not <laughs> At least I can speak and you yeah, can speak. Yeah, we speak. We speak. We just you know we speak about the yeshivot, about this. Or we we speak about. And I know that people calling me. That right now, just somebody called us and said, "You are just 
after Yom Kippur, two days of Yom Kippur, and we have to be melamed zchut. Yes, we have to be melamed zchut. We are melamedim zchut all the time. We want to help Klai Yisrael. But we have to help with this. And we cannot use ourselves and just hiding under the carpet and say, that's to put under the carpet all the stuff. We have to, to become an awareness. Unfortunately, we have a big issue here to, to many times. We are not allowed to shut up. But, I'm telling but, you, but, we're not allowed to, allow to shut up. We, 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 have to, we have to do something on some of the topics. Some of them are, are, are very bad. I, one, I remember the Shidduch crisis. Shidduch crisis is a real thing. I know of so many people who, are not, who have not gotten married. And I remember efforts being done. I'm not talking now about some of the things that you see odd ads about. I, I remember some efforts that are being made, tremendous efforts with with good people involved, and I don't see very much anymore. And there are so many people who are suffering out there. Just they, they, they need direction. People who are older, singles, they tell me, I need a mentor, and she needs a mentor. They, they know that they can't handle this alone. If we know people who are not married, who never got married in their 30s, their 40s, it's our chiyuv to jump in. Oh, you're not a shatchan. I'm not a shatchan. But I've helped people get married. I've never made a shidduch, but I've helped people get married. I've helped people through the process. You got to you got to jump in there somewhere. And even just to, and just and even just to help people kiruv. I always said to me personally in shul. Forget about smiling in the street and greeting everybody. You see a kid, say hello. Smile at him. I, I dive in Mincha today with a, I saw a young boy that I, that I vaguely know. He gave him a hello. You got to keep people happy. You have to, you have to keep Kalai Israel happy and growing and knowing that we care about them. This doesn't cost money. doesn't have to have any meetings. You don't have to study anywhere. But we have to have the heart. We have to open our hearts to other people. I think those are good ideas for for the coming year. And if, I think if we, we put into practice the greeting with the smile, if we start reaching out to some other people, and if we start speaking up, listen, Rabbi Avigdor Miller trained us. I mean, I used to, I used to go to his shir every week. Rabbi Avigdor Miller trained us. If you see something wrong, speak up. He spoke up about the thing we mentioned before, which, you know, we're going to mention it now. And Reverend Victor Miller, I remember once, sitting down with us, I remember just where we were sitting, and he told us about a certain person who, he, he wrote him a letter, who had he'd been found out, he had cheated, and he was going to jail, and Reverend Miller said to him, you're a good man, don't feel bad, and the guy committed suicide. So Reverend Miller said, he didn't listen to me. And I'm thinking, Rabbi Miller took out an hour or half an hour of his time to write a letter to a non-religious Jew who was having emotional issues over his being arrested, and he took the time out because if it's important enough to think about it, it's important enough to do something about it. So that's it for us tonight, and I wish you everyone a good Yom Tov. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be back after Yom Tov, after Simchas Torah, the Monday after. I wish everyone a uh, wonderful Yom Tov. And from, this is Rabbi, your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. For Kashrus on the Air, you can reach us at 718-336-8544 or Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com.